wonderful that the elders announced this morning the Cooks having place membership with us. I've traveled with Larry and Zella overseas on the Bible Land trips, and they are such good folks. Uh, I can tell you they're good folks, and I know that you're going to enjoy getting to know them as they work together with us. And Roger does such a great job, and his article's in the Southern Standard. So we're blessed to have this good family with us and working with us uh, now. This morning, we're going to continue in a series of lessons that I began last week from the book of Amos. I am impressed with the prophets, men of courage, men of conviction, men whom God chose for a great work and how they fulfilled it in such a powerful way. And I've entitled our study of chapter 2, beginning with verse 4 through the end of the chapter of chapter 2 as when preaching becomes personal. Let me begin by discussing this idea that it's easy for a person to condemn someone else at a distance. For instance, if we want to talk about the unbelievers, those who do not worship God, it's very easy to talk about those heathen people who populate our television channels, who mock the idea of God and to point out their errors and their sins. It's even easy to point out faraway spiritual family. That is, those who live in distant places, the mistakes that they have made. I remember in going through training and studying about people in various locations I remember thinking about some of the folks in California. I was amazed, even in the 70s, some of the things that they were doing, some of the things they were saying. And it's easy to talk about them, but folks, it's much harder to address sin face-to-face. That is when you have to talk to the very people to whom you must expose sin Like Amos did, Paul in the New Testament had to address this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, he says, What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? The Corinthians could correct their problems or Paul would have to address them. Evidently, they did not address them all because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, He says, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you or I shall not find you such as I wish and that I shall not be or shall be found by you such as you do not wish. You're going to look at me and wish that I was different. Paul says it's going to be hard to deal with. Going on into chapter 13, verses 2 and the first part of verse 3. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare since you seek the proof of Christ speaking in me. You see, sometimes you have to address the problems that exist among God's people where you are. In Amos chapter 1, In Amos chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Amos dealt with the neighbors of Israel 
and the sins which they had committed. For three transgressions, yes, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. But when we get to chapter 2, it becomes personal. Because Amos deals with the sins of Judah. He deals with the sins of Israel. And then I'm going to add to that a third point from chapter 9. And that is the sifting of God's people. If you will, open your Bibles now to Amos chapter 2. Let us begin with verses 4 and 5 as he looks at the sins of Judah. For thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not turn away its punishment, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Now, as you look at Judah, you've got to realize Judah was important to God. Judah was different than Israel. In Amos, or excuse me, Hosea chapter 11 and verse 12, Ephraim has encircled me with lies, and the house of Judah with deceit. But Judah still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. Now what that means is, Judah was reachable, Israel was not. There was some redeeming quality that God could see in Judah that he did not see and would not see in Israel. So Judah's important. But what is it that Judah did that so disappointed God? They despised God's law. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment what that conveys, what idea that is behind that. The word that is translated despised here is translated also rejected. Twenty-six times it's translated despised. Twenty-three times it's translated rejected. And it doesn't take me long of looking at where this word appears in the Bible to understand what it means. For instance, we all know about the commandment that God gave to Saul to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Saul did not do what God told him to do. God sent Samuel to rebuke Saul for that. And here's what Samuel said. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as is iniquity and, or as, yeah, as iniquity and idolatry. Now listen carefully. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now what that means is that Saul, when he did what he wanted to do, when he did what the people encouraged him to do, he rejected, he despised the word of the Lord. In 2 Kings chapter 17, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the, his prophets 
every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to the laws but which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God and they rejected his statutes and his covenant which he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves the molded image. And two calves made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. And there was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Now what I understand from this is that God sent prophets. He kept sending prophets. He kept sending prophets. And what they did was to turn their ears away and turn and worship idols. Hosea puts it like this very simply. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I have rejected you from being priests before me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Now here's the bottom line, folks. Judah's sin was they didn't listen to God. They rejected God's message. But there was a, a follow-up from that. He said, your lies have led you astray. What lies? The lies were those of the prophets, the false prophets. They had a choice. Do we listen to real prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos? Do we listen to them or do we listen to these other guys over here who are saying what we want to hear? Isaiah 9, the elder and the honorable, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. They had a leadership in front of them who were leading them away from God, leading them into idolatry. The prophets were saying it's okay. In fact, Ezekiel 22, 28, her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions, divining lies for them saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. People were telling them, Well, sure, this is okay, this is right, this is fine. And real prophets were saying, That's a lie. Romans 1 and verse 25, Paul says, Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever." Amen. You see, morals, right decision-making does not exist in a vacuum. If a person rejects the law of God, he is going to replace it with his own laws or the law of someone else. Where we are in our modern society today is, many times we're not listening to what God says, we're listening to the lies of the world. And we as God's people cannot do that. 
Number two, let's look at the sins of Israel. Let's look at verses 6 through 16. I know that's several verses, but there's just two or three major thoughts within this. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth which is on the head of the poor and pervert the way of the humble. A man and his father go in to the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite from before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also I was, it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you for forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. I am weighed down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. Therefore flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day, says the Lord. Now, let me point out to you that Israel, at the time Amos is speaking, is like a rebellious daughter. That's not my metaphor. That's the metaphor that's found in Scripture. And like a rebellious daughter who wants to go out and sow her wild oats and just see what kind of pleasure she can find, she's headed for disaster. And that's what God is saying to Israel. Your choices, the directions you're going is going to cause you to stumble and fall and be lost. What kind of sins do you see there? Well, the first one I see is a sin of covetousness or greed. Is the way we would put it. What do you mean by greed? Notice the way that Amos puts it. They sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. The life of their neighbors, their brethren, mean nothing to them. What if I have the ability to take this poor man over here and sell him for a pair of sandals or for some silver, some money, some gold. But that's not where Amos stops. He says they pant after the dust of the earth which is on the head of the poor. To pant after something means that you want it real bad as the deer pants for the water. In other words, it's thirsty, it wants something. He said they pant after the dust which is on the head of the poor. They want it all. 
even the dust that's thrown on the head. You see, greed is what controls them. And then he says they lie down by the altar on clothes that are taken in pledge. God's law was very clear. If a man gave you his garment as a pledge, when it fell dark, you were supposed to give it back to him so it wouldn't be cold through the night. But they lay down upon it. They, that is, they go to sleep. Using as a bed the garments that they've taken in pledge. What that tells you is they don't care about anybody else. They only care about the, the wealth that they're able to acquire. That's real greed. You get out, you work hard, you make your living honestly. The money that you acquire according to God, that's your blessing from the book of Ecclesiastes. But if you get out and you take advantage of people simply because you can, that's greed, that's covetousness, and that's simple and wrong. Mixed in together with that is a sexual perversion. A man and his father go into the same girl to defile his holy name. There was a thing during that period of time which was what we refer to as cultic prostitution. Same kind of situation that existed in Corinth. Where you have an idol's temple and a part of that worship was prostitution. And a man and a woman go into the same girl. You've got two sins there. Number one, you've got a sexual sin, and then you've got a religious sin. The worshiping of that idol. God goes on to say, I gave you some of your sons to be prophets, some of them to be Nazarites. You may or may not remember that a Nazarite was a person who was devoted to God. A religious symbol among the people. One who lived a different kind of lifestyle. And it was perceivable that kind of lifestyle they lived. One of those things in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 3, He shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither wine, vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. You see, a Nazarite was to have nothing to do with the fruit of the vine. But he says, you gave your Nazarites wine to drink. That shows a total disregard for God's religious intentions. He also talked about the command of the prophet saying, do not prophesy. You know, in Isaiah 30, verse 10, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. I think about Israel and where Israel stands before God. And is that so different than today? We have people today that it does not matter at almost any controversial subject. You can go to a congregation or you can go to a church which will say, that's okay, it does not matter. Why do those churches exist? Because there are people saying, tell us what we want to hear. 
rather than what we need to hear. God's picture of this is, is that it has burdened him, weighed him down. This is a farming illustration. You've got a cart there, you're bringing in the sheaves, and they're laying the sheaves in this wagon, and the wagon just gets overloaded to the point where it's hard for a beast of burden, it's hard for anyone to pull it out because it's so overloaded. God says, I'm overloaded with your sins. And Isaiah 1 and verse 14, Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. Or Isaiah 43, 24, You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you sacrificed or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. He said, I took care of you. He said, I took the Amorite down. He even used the figure of a, a, a tall tree, as tall as a cedar and strong as an oak. He said, I brought him down. I took the fruit off the top. I took the roots out of the bottom. And God said, yet you didn't appreciate that. Their confidence was in themselves rather than in God. Now let's start applying this a little bit. If you go over to Amos chapter 9 and verses 9 and 10, there's a figure that is used there with regards to God's people. For surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations. As grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say, the calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. I want you to get the picture in your mind here. He says, just like they would put grain in a sieve to sift it, good grain falls through. The garbage, the chaff, all of that stays in the sieve and it is thrown away, but the good passes through. What you've got a picture here is that God is saying, that's the way I am going to sift you. These people didn't think they needed that. They didn't think they deserved it. They believed everybody else would be put in the sieve of God, but not them. None of this calamity will overtake us. We'll not confront it. So many people think they're not going to be tested, they're not going to be tried, and they're not going to be judged. I'll give you a second passage. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan has asked. Satan wants to test you. Of course, you go on and read verse 32, and when you have been converted or turned again, strengthen your brethren which implies that Peter didn't meet the test. God sifts us. He tests us, and only the good pass through. Satan seeks to sift us. 
test us. And only the good passes through. Every generation must confront its own culture and refuse to embrace the sinful ways. We don't live in the time of Amos the prophet. But folks, we would be fooling ourselves if we didn't think that we live in a sinful culture with sinful people around us, with numerous pulls on us. Do it the world's way. Follow the world's pattern. And God sifts us, tests us, just like he did then. Where does the Word of God fit in your life? Do you embrace it? Do you accept it? Or do you despise it and reject it? Let's not be like Judah because God will hold us accountable. Have you let greed and lust drive your life? The people of Israel had. They were allowing themselves to be consumed by and driven by their own lust. I think about Israel. In my judgment, they had gotten to the point where they felt like they had outgrown God. They looked at God and they would say, you know, we're not just going to follow one God anymore. We're not just going to do what He wants. We're going to do our own thing in our own way. The one I really want to end with is what would Satan say about you? You think about Job in the Old Testament. And Job came before God, and, or Satan came before God and said, uh, I've been going through, to and fro through the earth. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? And God, the response of Satan to God was, is skin for skin, that's all man's life is. You take away that from him and see if he will not curse you to your face. And God allowed Job to be tested. You think about Luke 22. Satan came and asked for Simon Peter. My question is, what would Satan ask about you and me? He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows our easy besetting sins. It's easy to try to want to think about someone else's problem. But you see, when preaching becomes personal is when it makes me think about myself and the sins that are in my life. And am I going to keep on practicing them? Or am I going to repent of them? change my life and serve God acceptably. If you take your songbook now, we're going to sing the song of encouragement. If you have not yet become a New Testament Christian, what a wonderful privilege you would enjoy this morning by being baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away. If you are a Christian with sin in your life and you need to correct it,
What a great privilege we have tonight or this morning to be able to pray with you and for you. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.